Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. That's right. Welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your gracious and humbled host today, uh, Jonathan Weekend here at you on the OPP. You know me. It's OPP. And we are starting our Discovery Season 3 reviews. Crazy time went straight from Lower Decks right into Discovery. I think it was like 28-something weeks of Trek, straight Trek or something like that. They were advertising before Lower Decks, and man, did they not skip a beat. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm excited, and after watching that first episode, just a little hint, really impressed with the direction and the identity that they have established for Discovery, for Disco. So just a quick house notes about the upcoming Roundtable episode. There were some scheduling conflicts with said members so we actually had to be pushed it back a week so it'll be next week when it comes out so i'm gonna move up my spooky episode up to this week so um well this weekend so you guys will be seeing that in for just in time for halloween give you some uh, about a week before the, the spooky holiday gets here i mean we have like four guys coming on so it's gonna be it's gonna it's kind of hard to do schedules because we're all across the country thanks technology so moving on, I don't really think there's any news. Um, I kind of scanned and looked all day yesterday and today and haven't really found anything. So I don't think there's any news. I think I've been churning out so many episodes back to back to back that um, nothing really has broke in the Star Trek world. However, we're going to get right into the review today because it's a hefty one. And unlike Lower Decks, which they were about 22 minutes long, an episode, and you could kind of just... Okay, you could talk about it and move on. You could group them two to three to a review on the OPP podcast, but I'm not going to do that with Discovery. Discovery has a lot of good meat and a lot to like flesh out. And if I did that with Discovery, these episodes would be like an hour and a half plus. So I definitely don't want to do that. So we're just going to stick with doing an episode review for an episode of Discovery. Keep it real simple like we did with Picard all the way back in February. Can you believe that? All the way back in February. We've been doing this a while. It's been great. Um, but anyway, let's enough small talk, guys. Let's get into Discovery Season 3, Episode 1, The Hope That Is You, Part 1. As I read my review notes in my... I guess in my nicotine smelling hands today is a I'm accompanied on on the podcast by my favorite cigar of all time. Now I'm not a huge cigar smoker, but this one is the tops to me. It's a Monte Cristo White Series uh, Churchill edition. You now Churchill is just when I say Churchill edition, that means the size and the scope of the cigar, because you have Roberto, you have Toro, and those are all different sizes. But to me, Churchill's the best. Perfect for a podcast because I can sit it down and I can smoke it and enjoy it. It's not going to burn out on me, pretty much. Moving on into episode one, um, we find ourselves 900 
and 30 years into the future from where we left season two. Now, I'm going to say this one time, just one time for all of season three. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't watched it, just giving you a fair warning. I'm only doing it once this season. So if you haven't watched Discovery, again, why would you listen to the podcast if review episodes if you haven't seen it? They are 930 years into the future from where we saw in season two. And to take the suit with all of that AI technology into the future away from control, essentially saving humanity. And I think this is such a good idea for Discovery. Really, it's about when they decided to set the show up, was it 50 years or 25 years or something before Kirk? Maybe even 15 years. When they decided to set it so close to TOS, they really kind of painted themselves into a big corner. And now, now that they're in the 31st century, there's really no more banging in to the canon. There's no more banging into that predetermined line and predetermined plot that we've had and established with TOS and the TOS movies. So they don't really have to kind of, what's a good word? like force them, the discovery crew into the TOS plot lines. You know what I mean? Now they can just be themselves and have their own identity and kind of do their own thing now and, and establish themselves and the feelings and the, and the mantra of disco before the first two seasons really didn't have that. Didn't know the direction they were taking. And now we have a clear direction because of this first episode. And I am all on board with it. If you think about it, it's really doing a soft reboot in a way because you have all the same characters and you have all the same character arcs and dynamics of that crew yet it's a whole new plot line whole new story so it's almost a soft reboot in a way and i think that would have been really intelligent to do because if you kept it in the same tos era there's only so far you can get without them running into the enterprise without the Enterprise constantly being somewhat in the background of everyone's mind because we know Pike goes and commands the Enterprise. And and so it's just, yeah, it, I think this was a really intelligent move to just shoot them forward to the 31st century. Now, all of my hardcore Trekkies out there will say, Jonathan, the 31st century, what about the temporal Cold War from Enterprise? <laughs> and won't that have some kind of distinction won't there be run-ins with that and no there won't be um did a little bit of research and apparently burnham comes in a hundred years after all of that temporal nonsense we saw with archer and the crew of the enterprise so we really don't have to worry about that and I, I seriously doubt that the writers of discovery will take a, a plot line from enterprise and bring that into this into this production because let's be honest enterprise was canceled after four seasons it's not one of the most popular tracks out there so they're not going to take this b plot line and bring it into this multi-million dollar behemoth that is discovery yeah like i said it's now discovery can finally get its own mantra can get its own voice because as we know original series had wagon train of the stars and as we learn they're going to rebuild the federation and I think that's such a cool concept and something I want to be a part of and, and follow along because it's like, how would you do that in this time and space where warp travel is extremely rare because of the dilithium and the cost of dilithium? 
So it opens with that lonely Starfleet type looking for signals, but he's constantly failing. And I absolutely loved his story and how they brought him in at the end of the episode. I'm not going to cover that now, but it's, it's a cool concept because it showed basically welcome to the 31st century because it had all this matter building and taking down like his bed and his desk. And it was just kind of this, okay, a slow introduction to the 31st century, which I thought was really cool. I honestly thought he was an Android because he just seemed very Android in the way he operated. Got up at the same time every day, did the same thing, brushed his teeth, looked for the signal, went to bed. So I was happy to be wrong. So now we're getting into actually the heart of the review, what happened in the episode. Um, I just wanted to give my little spiel at the beginning because I thought that was really important for Discovery to set its own pace. I'm not going to repeat myself in circles here. <laughs> so season premiere kicks off exactly where season two ended. Burnham's coming through that wormhole and she lands in the year 3188, which is almost a thousand years from where she left. And I didn't know if you guys knew this, but the first two episodes are shot on location in Iceland and it looks gorgeous. I mean, talk about a infomercial for Iceland. Suddenly I want to go. Now I've only been to the airport and I'm not even going to try to pronounce Rejavakstan. <laughs> I've only been to the airport there. Kind of beautiful, very flat, but didn't really see much of the country. But very impressed with the scouting locations on this because it definitely feels more futuristic and more just like a lonesome. You know, it, there's really nothing around except wilderness and, and book ship. And I mean, that's another highlight of the and going into a little side rabbit hole. The production costs of disco i mean it is going to be a multi-million dollar thing they're doing and now they've copied ideas and methods used on the mandalorian i don't know if you heard about this but the mandalorian used this kind of 360 vr backgrounds to kind of fully immerse the crew and, and everybody in it and now discovery has adopted that for season three which is really cool and I'm, I'm glad because it's the future of technology so you can kind of see the quality that Disco is going to bring. It's, I would say, the flagship of the CBS all-access all network. I love, I always mispronounce her name, love Sinquoia Martin-Green's approach on that first scene when she landed because it was such a dichotomy of emotions. In, in the words of that old movie, Full Metal Jacket, it shows the duality of man. She's super excited to be alive and that her mission was a success, that humanity made it, you know? And on the other hand, she's overcome with grief because everyone she knows has died. Her whole world has collapsed. She's in a new place with fear. And it was a brilliant way to kind of combat that back and forth, in my opinion, in that few, maybe 20 seconds we saw her. I was like, wow, she's got some chops. <laughs> but I already knew that. I've, I've watched her on The Walking Dead for years. So when they cast her, it was like, we know exactly the quality acting we're going to get with her. First off, with, with Book, we see the introduction of Book. The first impression was he's not afraid to hit a woman. <laughs> so um, I know he was like angry that she ran into a ship, made him crash. And but still, like not afraid to hit a woman. I was like 31st century. Maybe times have changed. And he mentions a few things, I don't know if you caught, um, dilithium recrystallizer, which I guess is how they kind of rehash their dilithium, and maybe that's what led to the burn. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but also, he mentions a quantum slipstream. Now, usually the only time I've ever heard that 
is in Voyager, the quantum slipstream where they would have that shuttlecraft go in front of Voyager and navigate the slipstream so they could make it home in a matter of months instead of 70 years. So I thought, I was like, I don't know if that was a nod or an Easter egg, but I thought that was cool how they brought that in. What I'm going to say about Bookship is a lot of people were felt a little underwhelmed. The cinematography of the episode was beautiful. Now, some people didn't like it because they were like, well, his, his technology is not that great. He should have more. He should be, should be bigger, should be, I don't know. And But to me, I think when you've hit that peak, like in the 23rd and 24th century, there's only so much more you can do. I mean, a computer is a computer is a computer, unless you put it inside your body or it becomes virtual. Like, I, I don't really have an issue with that. I think if they made it too outlandish, it's distracting. If it was so ridiculous, it was like, okay, no one's going to believe that. Like if it was suspended in this goo or something like that, that's you could have electricity through and that was the computer. Like you don't want it to be too distracting with the 31st century. You know what I mean? So I think it was, I think it was just the right mix where you're like, wow, that's really cool. And, and we don't know what the future episodes are going to reveal about that stuff. So I, I for one had no issue with it. And I will have to say, probably my new favorite character is grudge. He was the superstar to me. Um, I love that little cat and his name is, is hilarious because what was it? Because he was heavy and he was all his. Was that the reason for his name? I told my wife about it and she's like, I like that name for cat. We might have to do that with our next one because we have two little cats ourselves and, um, maybe for the next cat name him grudge. So we see book and Berman go to this trading outpost book is a courier for the Orions. And when we see the Orions back up to their old ways again, that syndicate with doing all the contraband and legal activities. Now, I guess they're the trading Ferengi, lack of a better term of the new 31st century. And they run everything. Well, at least in this outpost. I, I mean, the first thought that popped in my head when I saw this scene was what happened to the replicators? What happened to the, I mean, you had this society that really didn't need to operate on money and, and it was kind of, some worlds still did, but it was kind of this almost thing no one really operated anymore. And if you want to learn more about that, we have a Treconomics episode that uh, we published uh, a couple months back. So check that out. But there was really no need or want or lack in the 24th century. So the fact that with the Federation collapsing, it reverted back to this free market capitalistic society really shows that, hey, that's what you got to do to survive, you know? <laughs> and so to lithium, as we learned, is even more valuable. And if you, and I was more, I was thinking about it was these couriers only get so much to make their runs and back. And that, I mean, that tells me that the future of travel, you know, like no one really just, explores the galaxies anymore. No one really just goes on joy rides. It's all for profit and that's it. There's no reason for you to be out there anymore. And that's kind of a 180 degree take from 24th century Star Trek. And the only reason we see Burnham and Book able to visit that Starfleet outpost at the end of the episode is because they stole all this dilithium at the when they were trying to escape this trading post. So interesting to see how they're going to, maybe, I don't know if they're going to um, address that. Maybe this is going to be a plot hole that 
just will continue out through the season. They never have any issue finding to lithium or it's going to be like Voyager every few episodes. We're like, we're going to need to let him let's go. <laughs> so I don't know how they're going to deal with that, but um, really interested, really interested in see. And to me, just because of the way the outpost was, it didn't seem super gloomy. It didn't seem upsetting at all. It seemed kind of, uh, you know, something, honestly, something you might see in, in star Wars. I know it's heresy to say on a Star Trek podcast, but it just seemed like this most cantina, you know, like this rebel rousers and um, double crosses and shootouts going on and no one really cares. And it just seemed more like that than um, something you would find in Star Trek. That's just my opinion. (laughs) But I would say Martin Green's, when she got blasted with that smoke stuff was hilarious. Again, showing the range all in an episode I think she nailed it. And speaking of that, Martin Greens and what's the guy's name? Please book Ajia Aljila. <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Thank you, Kentucky public education system. But they had great chemistry together. And I think that's going to be, I guess, romantic as we saw in the kind of this season on discovery at the end of the episode. Like, I guess they're going to have a romantic relationship, which I think will be good. So we see with all they're running around and all they're escaping, which I thought it was cool to see that, you know, they're so they're bouncing around everywhere and escaping, but we'll touch on that later. But we really know now what the season arc is going to be. We really know now what the plot is going to be of this season and potentially the whole show is that the Federation and Starfleet are gone and they have to find discovery. The goal, find discovery, get the Federation back up, you know? And speaking of the Federation, I loved like book talking about these ghosts and true believers, like still hanging around. And that would be so true because there's still even people like that today. Like I'm a millennial, but I know my boomer parents are like, oh, you don't understand how it used to be. And it used to be so great. And so if you had a completely collapse of this system where everyone believed, especially when a hundred years have passed, because that's the last time it, since the burn that they would be looking through rose-colored glasses and not through the dominion war and grittiness of this of um, Starfleet. And I think when Book was explaining this and the burn and how Starfleet has collapsed to Burnham, she says this great line, and it was kind of a teaser of, again, what we learned later in the episode, that Starfleet isn't a, just a bunch of ships and a bunch of people in uniform it's an idea it's a vision and that is what i think is going to be the calling card is that they're going to reestablish that vision so let's get into this huge catastrophic event called the burn apparently the galaxy took a hard left according to book and all of this dilithium in warp capable ships mainly in the federation ship so all of this dilithium one day just destabilizes and explodes simultaneously everywhere. So in a matter of minutes, you have this ginormous fleet of ships, tens of thousands of people instantly dead, instantly gone. And what would that do? And again, with travel being limited, you're kind of cut off. And I think that's really what led to the Federation's demise. You're isolated again. And so if you're in one part of the alpha quadrant in the be- or in the beta quadrant, it's going to take you some time to get back to Earth. It's going to take you some time with communications. As we learn later in the episode, there are no long 
long range communications anymore. So it's really turning this federation in the Star Trek universe on its head because it's kind of starting from almost a Zephram Cochran level, except now they have a blueprint and they know how to build a federation because they've already done it once. And so, like I said before, um, they were running around trying to escape and that's because Book betrays Burnham and tries to just sell her antiques and kind of gives her over to the Orions and, and all this stuff. <laughs> so they eventually try to they team up again and Burnham's still bitter about it until she learns more about him. But um, only reason I re-mentioned them trying to escape is that during the escape, if you believe it or not, there was Morn. Morn! <laughs> One of the most random, lovable characters of DS9 didn't say one word for seven seasons. I guess it was somebody in his species. I don't I forget what Morn's species is, but he shows up. And if you forget what Morn looks like, it's like a potato with teeth. <laughs> and he has like three stomachs or something like that. Anyway, so we saw Morn and I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. They're definitely, again, Star Trek people running this thing. Because only somebody like that would be like, oh, let's uh, make him uh, like Morn. <laughs> During their chasing, that you see Burnham get shot. It's like a flesh wound in the arm. And apparently Book is some kind of like alien, which I like that other side of him, that he's not just simply human, that there's more complexity to him. And then as we learn, he is part of this activist group that saves endangered animals and they live on this like protected planet called Sanctuary. And I thought that was really cool because it gave him another layer and it gave them another quick, easy way to make Burnham and Book like Bond. So he opened up and shared that. So I think that was a cheap way to do it, but it was an effective way to do it. This is like McDonald's. It feeds you, but <laughs> it may not be the best, but we, we got there. So for as of right now, there is no Federation, and the main goal is to find a discovery. So Book says, hey, I think some there might be a place out there that might be able to help and they take her to the outpost which was from the very beginning of the episode we see that i think i forget his name but the indian guy basically running this communications array for 40 plus years and he wants to become a commissioned officer and and it really to me was perfect capstone of the episode and a perfect jumping off point and we'll play this speech that burnham gives hope is a powerful thing Sometimes it's the only thing. Our numbers are few. Our spirit is undiminished. If there are others out there, we'll find them. Wow. So I think, like, I, you can see why I chose that. That definitely sets the mark that hope is out there, and that's what we're going to cling to, and that's what we're going to rebuild and it really has positioned itself for season three for for Disco to find its voice. And I've said that throughout the episode, and I really emphasize that now that they don't have to tiptoe on eggshells. They can just be their own thing, develop any, any canon they want. And this is what Star Trek has needed. We needed something outside of the golden age of Star Trek. We needed something completely separate from that because we get that so much with from TNG to even Picard in a way. It's just this select maybe 50 years, 50, 100 years, and that's all we get. So I'm kind of glad they're branching out a little bit 
And I think it's going to be more successful than the last time they branched out with Enterprise. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. I was very impressed. The acting, cinematography, the writing. I, th- I thought, again, the bonding between Book and Burnham was a little cheap and it was a little fast, but it's okay. Like, I'm not going to raise alarm about it. <laughs> People have said, you're always so positive in your reviews. I was like, yeah, because I love Star Trek. I'm not going to... I mean, if I didn't like what I was watching, I wouldn't watch it. You know, if if Lower Decks turned out to be terrible, I'd probably still do reviews on it, but I just wouldn't really put any effort into it because it sucked. But no, this is great content, and I'm I'm really excited to watch the rest of the season and see where that takes us. But that has been our very first Discovery Season 3 Episode 1 review. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. And just a reminder, Roundtable has been pushed back to next week. I know um, you guys enjoyed the first one so much. I was like, I have to bring them back. (laughs) And again, moving the spooky episode up and we'll finally be able to kind of get caught up. I know I've been publishing a lot of episodes lately and I've just kind of been wanting to catch up, finish Lower Decks, get Discovery started and kind of get this other content rolling because to me, my favorite part, I love doing the reviews, but my favorite part are those random series I do, like the Klingons or the roundtables or just those random episodes like the drama behind the scenes or the economics of it. So those those are the fun ones to me. So um, we're definitely going to be bringing more of that. And again, you can always reach out to me on social media at Omega Particle Podcast on Instagram and at Omega Particle underscore on Twitter. And we'll say thank you for your support on that. I think we're at Still close to 2,400 on Instagram and close to 1,300 on Twitter. So thank you so much, guys. It's been great getting to know you guys and talking to you guys. And just remember, be safe out there. I know Rona's still rampaging in Europe. So if you're in Europe listening, be careful, follow local ordinances. And always remember, guys, second start of the right, straight on till morning.